Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. All right, so let's pray. Come on, we're going to get our hearts ready for more than just another sermon, but a word in season. So thank you, God. We position ourselves right now. Put aside distraction. Thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room. We've heard so many sermons, but we never tire of hearing a word from you. So speak to our hearts. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand right now. Thank you that we're leaving here today with a revelation that's repositioning our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is its raw honesty. It's just raw and honest. And I'm not so sure that we're ready for it. I think sometimes we filter it out. We're not quite getting what God is actually saying to us because maybe we've got this filter on of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and we're sort of filtering out uh, the challenge, and we sort of defer to the, the safe and the predictable. But there are definitely Bible verses that should leave us going, What? What? How about this one? Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Can you imagine going to Karong and finding that as a fridge magnet, you know, or, or in children's church this morning, you know, that's the memory verse and you're driving little Johnny home. What memory verse did you have today? You faithless generation. How long? And you're going, what the heck are they doing? But that's what Jesus said. Um, but here's the verse I do want to take a deep dive on this morning. And it's a verse where Jesus is teaching us to pray. And so he has us saying to the Father, and and translators have struggled with this verse. They've tried to sort of tilt it this way and that way, but it just won't tilt. It is what it is. Jesus is putting into our mouth, say this to Heavenly Father, Father, please don't lead me into temptation. Please don't lead me. Now, some of us have been praying that prayer for that long. We're we're, we're not getting, why is he asking us, why is he asking us to talk to God and say, God, please don't lead me into temptation. Matthew uh, 6.13. Well, the fact is that that implies that he will and he could. (laughs) Because if we're asking him not to do it, that sort of implies that actually he will do it. All right. And uh, so what? Why would God want to do that? The Passion Translation has helped us out a little bit with the footnote by putting it this way. Do not. Uh, do not let us be put into the ordeal of testing. All right, so that's a little bit softer, but it's still, it's implying that God will do it. 
And now we're asking him, please don't do what we know you can do. All right. Uh, so why is that? Why would God, or will he? Is this like, would he honestly do that? Well, yes, Jesus is speaking from personal experience. Another uh, uncomfortable truth that we're told that he was driven, driven, the same word the Bible uses for driving out the demonic, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested. Wow, okay. So the question becomes, why would God see that as necessary? Well, for the same reason that he's put countless Bible characters through a time of testing. And here it is, and I like to add dramatic music when I'm preaching. I have to do it myself. So, here is, here's why he's do it. It's actually not about punishment. It's about humility. It's about humility. And I... You're, well, I'm praying that you will get a revelation on why humility matters so much to God that'll radically empower your life. It'll empower your life. And, and so let's unpack this. Why is God so intent on keeping us in a position of humility that He would go to the extreme of sending us into a time of testing, all right? It's not about punishment. That's not what this time of testing is about. It's actually about humility. And uh, it says there in Deuteronomy 8.2, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 days. What was He doing? Humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you'd obey His commands. You know, if you're familiar with Paul's lament over this thorn in the flesh he was struggling with, and again, difficult Bible verse that people have argued back and forth about, but he's actually telling us plainly what it was all about. He says, uh, 2 Corinthians there, he says, the extraordinary level of revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me, for this is... For this is why a thorn in the flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, to keep me from being arrogant. There he is, he's telling us, this is, this is why it happened to me. I was gonna become a fathead. And so God thought, I don't want you to become a fathead. All right. So I'm going to, and if we had time, we'd read the whole thing, how he unpacks it and starts to talk about. Then if, if this is what happens to me to empower me, then bring it on. All right. So he has this shift. All right. So, so why is staying in a position of humility such a big deal to God? Why that, that he would go to, to this length? Well, Let's understand what humility is. Humility is not humiliation. 
That's not what it is about. The times of testings are not about embarrassment, shame, yeah. guilt, disgrace. Forget that. Flush it. Sound of a flushing toilet right now. Flush that idea. That's not what this time's about. All right. Humility <clears throat> is the position of heart that we adopt, not when we think that we're nothing, but when we know God is everything. When we know God is everything. Humility is the natural position our hearts default to when we know who we are in the light of who God is. Oh, oh, I want you to get that. That's, that's a beautiful... See, humility is not I am nothing. Humility is God is everything. It's, it's actually about a position of our hearts. All right. Humble people, they behave with acute awareness of their need for God, of their need for God. Humility is how we behave when we're treating God as our God. Not a pocket trinket, not a lucky charm, not a, you know, Buddha belly that we're rubbing, you know, to get, you know, oh, I'm in trouble. No, no, humility is a position where he's my God, not a God, not, not God I believe in, but he's, he's my God. He's my God. And, and so the testing is really like a refiner's fire. It's, it's bringing our ego to the surface and causing our need for God to become apparent. That's what God's, that's why he would go to that extreme. All right, and so the big point here is God is so passionate about keeping us in a place of humility that he will send us into these times of testing. And so why is God so passionate about keeping us in a place of humility? You ready? Big point, more music. All right, but he continues, here it is, to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you're proud, but he continually pours out grace on you when you're humble. You know why God wants to keep, so he can keep gracing you. That's why he wants to keep you there because that's where he's pouring out grace. This isn't punishment. This isn't God going, you, how dare you. He's saying, I want to keep gracing you. I want to keep pouring grace on you. But if you shift out of that position, you're going to shift yourself into a position where not only is there no grace, I'm going to resist you. I'm going to resist you. Wow. So this is beautiful. When we get the heart of God saying, I need to keep you in that position so I can keep. Now, now some of us, don't get overly excited because we haven't quite grasped what this word grace means. We, we, we relate to it as amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And we, we, you know, it's God's unmerited favour for forgiveness of sins. That's a small part of what it is. When we, when we unpack grace, what it is, is God's power coming on you to take your natural into the supernatural, to taking you when you 
unpack it and see the context in which grace is used over and over and over again, you'll see that grace is this power that God will pour into your life to take your five loaves and two fish, so to speak, your little boy lunch, and feed thousands of people with it. So important, Horizon Church, that you keep yourself in a position of humility so God can keep pouring His grace on this church. That you turn your church into a grace magnet. It's just attracting the grace of God. That people say, what is it? I mean, I know they did this and this, but it became that. I know they just did that, but it's like God blew on it. It wasn't that, oh, I like those guys. No, it was you knew we have positioned our place, self in a place where God pours out grace. It's like stepping out of the shower and wondering why you're not wet anymore. Well, because you repositioned yourself. Get back in the shower. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where he's pouring it out. So it's positional. Humility is uh, positional. And, and Paul says, Uh, God speaking to Paul says, my grace is always more than enough for you. And so he switches the metaphor and he actually uses the word power. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness, right? So actually power and grace are interchangeable words where God is gracing you, He's pouring His power into you. That's what He's actually doing. So why is God so passionate about keeping you in humility? Because that's the way, where, that's the place <clears throat> where God's pouring out His grace. And when we move out of that position of humility, God's grace uh, lifts off or we position ourselves out of it and it becomes very frustrating for us. We're doing stuff, but it's frustrating. It's not happening. It's like getting your socks, uh, you know, your, your feet washed with your socks on. It's sort of happening, but it's not happening. And you sort of think, what is wrong? We're sort of doing it, but it's just not life and it's not graced. And that's because we need, that's a time for us to check our hearts and say, we're we getting a bit of a fat head. Are we sort of getting a bit carried away with ourselves? Are we becoming overly confident in ourselves? Oh, we know how to do this. Well, God says, okay, you're moving out of that position of grace. So, so, so this testing is not about punishment. It's about God actually reaching out with his shepherd staff and going, you're getting out of position, tap, tap, and sometimes whack, whack. <laughs> All right. But it's, it's, I want you to hear, no, no, this isn't God getting angry. This is God saying, I want to keep you in grace. Come on, get back, get back. Don't, don't wander off there. I need to keep you in that position of grace. All right. So are we then meant to be saying, God, then bring it on? Well, hang on, let's go back to the prayer. Jesus said, say this to to Father God, lead us not. (laughs) We know you can, but 
Don't do it. Don't do it, God. Please. We promise we'll, we'll learn. Because listen, what does it say? It says, humble yourself. All right? God's preferred method, method is that you do it. Not that he do it. That's, what that, that's why he's praying that. No, no, no. You humble yourself. You do it because if you don't, I'll do it. <laughs> that's how much God's so passionate. He's saying, I would have preferred you did it. But since you're not, whack. Okay. All right. I need to keep you in that place. So the big point is, One of the primary ways that we can stay humble and avoid times of testing, one clear way the Scripture presents again and again and again is prayer and fasting. Just when you thought, is he even going to preach on prayer and fasting? (laughs) Here it is. All right. One of the clear ways, in fact, if we had time, we'd look at the the number of times fasting is used in the same sentence as humbling ourselves. Look at, we got one, but there was many more. It says, Ezra 80 says, I announced a fast. Why? So that, so Pastor Brad has announced a fast. Why? So that we might humble ourselves. We, we worked out when God does it, eh, oh, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to humble ourselves. So, so let's understand prayer and fasting as it relates to, to keeping our hearts in a position of humility. Fasting actually has the same purpose that prayer does in that prayer keeps your heart in a position of humility. See, if we unpack this prayer that Jesus gave us, before we get to the asking part, the first part is about positioning. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom, not mine, your kingdom. So what Jesus is saying, if you're... If you're going to ask, you better get in position first. You better humble yourself first. You better remind yourself who God is. We hallow your name. We exalt you. You alone are God and it's your kingdom we're seeking, not our own. And now we move into the asking. All right. So fasting is like prayer. It's positional. That's why it's prayer and fasting. All right. Together, they're both positional Uh, uh, methods, if I could use that word, to position ourselves into this place of humility. When I'm praying, when I'm praying, the very fact that I'm praying is honouring, I go to you. I go to my God. You know, Jesus taught us to ask in his name, you know, and it's become, you know, in the name of Jesus. And what we don't get is that was never about a verbal utterance that we tagged on the end of our prayer to let everybody know I'm finishing now in the name of Jesus. And everybody, yes, amen. And that was the way we finished prayer. It was never meant to be about that. 
Because you can verbally say the words and not be in the name of Jesus. Because it's actually positional. In other words, I can be praying in the name of Jesus, but not under where grace falls. Because I'm praying out here. I'm just saying the words, but my position is not here. So guess what? It's, it's not the lucky rabbit's foot. It's not the, yeah, but I said in the name of Jesus, there you go. And all the angels snapped to attention. Did you hear it? He said in the name of Jesus. All right then. You can pray in the name of Jesus, but never say the verbal utterance because it's a positional heart. I'm, I'm positioned in submission to the Lordship of Christ. I'm in, I'm positioned under His name. And so we see how this positional prayer, but also this physical way of achieving the same thing with physical fasting, both are positioning our hearts in a, in a powerful place where God's pouring out His grace. So let's understand what fasting is not. Fasting is not trying to overwhelm God with our intensity. Fasting is not trying to get God to feel sorry for us because we're so hungry. <laughs> Did you hear that rumble? You better do it. Look at that. All right, that's, that's not how it is. It's not a transaction. X amount of energy uh, purchase a response to God. That's not... That's not it. That's not even Christian, that's pagan. That's you bargaining with this God, thinking that that you're manipulating Him by your behaviour. Sorry, that's not Christian, that's actually pagan, all right? They believe that they could manipulate their God by their behaviour. God's not interested in that. So why are we doing it? Because we want to keep ourselves in a position where God's pouring out grace. All right? Wow. That's power. That's taking your five loaves and two fish. That's taking your small act of obedience and it just blowing it out of the water. And you think, wow, how did this happen? That's called grace. That's called grace. It's so valuable. The most valuable thing Horizon Church has that they should steward and nurture Hence, this month of prayer is the grace of God. Because otherwise, we're just doing all the stuff. But, oh God, there's no life in it. There's no, there's no warmth in it. Where is it, Lord? Well, we just need to go, well, this, you know what? So congratulations. Very wise of you. Very wise to be going, you know what? Let's call a month of prayer and, and fasting just so that we're, we're checking ourselves, we're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God yeah. that He may exalt us. Why? Why are we doing it? Well, because we know that if we get out of position, He won't. Yeah. He won't exalt us, but if we keep ourselves, yes, He will, all right? Uh, and so... Humbling ourselves under the mighty, humbling ourselves. Don't you do it, God. We'll do it. We'll take, we got this. 
right? So fasting takes direct aim at breaking down the biggest barrier to our prayers being answered, and that is our pride. Again, fasting is taking aim at the biggest barrier that's stopping our prayers, and that is our pride, all right? It's keeping us in position. So humility is a heart position before God, and it's only when we truly positioned yourself in that humility, that's when in the name of Jesus becomes a reality rather than just a verbal utterance, all right? So hear this truth. God would rather see you stumbling your way forward, getting up, falling over, but doing it with raw honesty and humility than he would see you faking it. He'd much rather say, oh, well, that didn't work. Come on, we got to get, we just need God so much in our lives. He would much rather see you stumbling your way forward with raw, authentic humility than he would see you trying to be a convincing hypocrite. The word hypocrite means an actor. It's just a big act. We're just acting. We know how to act. Well, the one person we're not fooling is God. He knows we're out of position. He knows, he knows yes, we're doing the act, but he knows the act is being done out of position. So no grace, no grace. All right, and... <clears throat> Nowhere in the Bible do we see this more illustrated than another curious scripture that we see an interaction with Jesus with somebody. And it's, one of, it's another one of those what scriptures. Ready? All right. Why do I always like to talk about what scripture? <laughs> All right. But we see uh, it's, a, it's a story I like to talk about because we learn so much from it. Jesus it tells us he's leaving He's leaving Palestine, he's leaving Galilee, he's crossing the border, he gets his passport stamped and he's moving into Gentile territory, Tyre and Sidon. And a Gentile woman, note that, who lived there, came to him pleading, have mercy, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon and torments me severely. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word, totally ignored her. And it would appear that she kept it up hour after hour after hour, followed them around, have mercy on me. Um, <clears throat> what was her exact words again? She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And then she's requesting, and all this time Jesus is totally ignoring her. And in the end, the disciples said, look, she's becoming a real nuisance, send her away. Uh, and then finally Jesus turns to the woman and said, I, I sent you only to, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But then she came and worshiped, pleading again, Lord, help me. So why is Jesus <clears throat> ignoring this woman? Because she's out of position. All right. And you say, well, how do you get that? Well, Jesus is obviously outside of Israel and he's among the Gentiles. And, and um, <clears throat> we could ask, 
<clears throat> why is he ignoring this woman? Well, was he ignoring her because she wasn't a Jew? Well, no, because we already seen Jesus ministering to Samaritans and Romans. Was he ignoring her because she was a woman? No, Jesus welcomed women into his disciples. Uh, was he ignoring her because she was some sort of outcast from society? No, because we know Jesus was embracing the tax collectors uh, and the sinners. So what was he ignoring her for? Well, for the simple reason she was pretending to be somebody she wasn't. And until she humbled herself and became real, all right, he continued to ignore her. And you say, where's that in the story? Well, we're told very clearly this is a Gentile woman and she's addressing Jesus with a term that was exclusively used for, by devout Jews. We don't know where she picked it up, but somehow she picked up that Jews used this term. And, and for Jews, terms that they used were like shortcuts that they could say so much in so few words. And so when she was calling him son of David, that was implying she knew Jewish history, genealogies, prophecies, but she didn't. It was just an act. It was just an act. And even though that term may seem to have no significance to us, we know that she was trying to pretend to be a Jewess when she wasn't, all right? And why was she doing it? Because desperate times called for desperate measures. So she was hiding her Jewish identity and using only a Jewish term. And so she does this by thinking by pretending to be a Jew, she would uh, get the chance to get what she needs from Jesus. So instead of coming to Jesus with humility, and honesty, she pretends to be something she isn't. The Bible word for that is acting, hypocrite, okay? And, and so this woman keeps up this facade of being Jewish, repeating the phrase over and over until Jesus finally, now this is the mercy of God, He suddenly lets her know, lady, I know who you are. I know who you are. Because He says, I've been sent to the Jews and you're not one. So stop pretending. And that's a critical moment in the story. What's she going to do now? Is she going to continue to get into another act and perform victim mentality? What's she going to do now? Well, thank God she gets real and she gets humble. She gets real and she humbles herself. She drops the act. She takes off the mask. And she comes to Jesus just as she is. And now her prayer simply becomes, oh God, help. Help. (laughs) Sometimes that's all it is. Forget all the fluff. It's just, oh God, I'm humbling myself. I've been pretending. I've been acting. And now I realise I need you so much. I need you to be my God. And she learned something, and some of us are still struggling to learn, is that God does not require you to change before He accepts you. She thought she had to change. But Jesus said, listen, just come, just come as you are. I know who you are. You're not pretending. Quit this acting. 
I know who you are. Just come as you are. For God so loved the world, not those who conform to his standards. He loved the world, warts and all. All right. And so this is the outrageous mercy of God that some of us in this room are still grappling to get. It's not about us being worthy. It's about God being merciful. And even in that acknowledgement, to get there, you have to humble yourself. You mean it's got nothing to do with me. You mean it's got everything to do with God. That's a position. Did you hear what I'm trying to say? That's, a, that's an acknowledgement. Oh, God, you're everything. All right. And so little did she know that her pretended change was the very reason why Jesus was ignoring her. And I'm... In a strange way, this was the mercy of God because imagine if Jesus had acknowledged her while she was acting. She would have had to keep up the act. Now i got to keep it up. Always notice me in my act and now I've got to keep it up. But actually the mercy of God was, listen, just, just be yourself, okay? Because I see you. I accept you as... Uh, you are. So she humbled herself, she dropped her act, she dropped to her knees and instead of this borrowed Jewish prayer, she now had a humble heart prayer, oh God, please help me. All right. No humiliation. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He was waiting for her to humble herself and get real. And I'm speaking to people in this room. Maybe that's what's happening. God, why? Why nothing? Just check your heart. Come on, run the scanner of yourself. Have you, have you honestly made God your God or a convenience, a pocket lucky charm that you just pull out? I mean, are you, are you in the name of Jesus? See, see, for lots of people, saviour part's really easy. Lordship, mmm. Lordship's sort of different. This, this saviour that you've embraced, actually he wants to be Lord. And that's, that's position, that's submission. That, and that's not as if God's got some ego problem. He is saying, I want to keep you in a place where I can pour out my grace on you. Because if I poured out your, my grace in a different position, I'm keeping you in your ego. I'm keeping you in your suffering. The way out is humility. Not, and it's not <clears throat> humiliation. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the beautiful humility. I'm going to ask the singers and musicians to come back and help me, but... <clears throat> I'm sort of coming into land with this thought that once you get what humility is and how powerful it is and it's just this beautiful grace magnet attraction and how passionate God is to keep you there. This is actually the true (coughs) symbolic meaning behind fire in the Bible. You know, I've been a Pentecostal all my Christian life and we like to have the fire, <laughs> the zeal of God. And I'm going to keep singing those songs because I like them. But actually, when you, when you actually get down to it, it's got nothing to do with that. 
It's got everything to do with purification. It's got everything to do with separating the counterfeit from the genuine. Fire reveals and when it touches you, it leaves behind, burns up the chaff and leaves the real behind. That's again and again and again in Scripture. That and, and again, I want you to hear the mercy of God in that. It's not punishment. It's God saying, you're so chaffed you don't even realise it. You, you're calling your chaff Christianity or whatever. But I need to show you your own heart because you, you lost touch with it. You can't even see. You're so in the routine and you've moved into churchianity rather than Christianity. And in my mercy, I'm going to touch you with my fire. Not to destroy you, but to expose, oh my God, I'm so out of position. I'm so out of position. So I need that. I need the fire of God to touch my life again and again. Maybe one of the easiest ways I can convey this is to tell you a story from my childhood where uh, Sally and I grew up in an area of uh, the tropics where they grew a lot of sugar cane. And so let's have that first picture up on the screen. That was, that's us riding to school. You know, we'd ride past these uh, paddocks and paddocks of all this sugar cane and they'd, they'd water it and nurture it and fertilise it all year long. But then at a certain time of year, you'd almost think the farmer's gone mad because he does something to his own crop, the crop that he's nurtured and fertilised and watched over and protected. He does this to it. Let's look at the next slide. He tortures it. He sets it on fire. Why? Is he gone mad? Is he trying to destroy it? No, he doesn't want the chaff because he's about to harvest it. And he doesn't want all this chaff, but he knows the genuine will remain. The only thing the fire will consume is the chaff. And so God in His mercy again and again and again will touch our lives in such a way that we, oh God, thank You for that. (laughs) This isn't humiliation, this isn't destruction. This is your mercy, because I was getting so out of touch. And I didn't even realise it, getting so out of touch. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If ever there was a day when the Church of Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking universally now needs a baptism of fire, it's today. To sweep through our denominations, our congregations, our individuals and to burn up all the carnal religious nonsense that has come and cluttered up our motives. To burn up all the counterfeit Christianity and leave behind the genuine God stuff. So this fire is not to be feared, it's to be welcomed, 
to keep us real, to keep us humble, to stay in a position of heart where God is pouring out His grace. And I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, I need that fire to touch my life again and again so that I'm not wasting my life on chaff, obsessing on the irrelevant, majoring on minus. I need it. I need that fire to purify my motives and keep me real. So while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I want to create an opportunity for people to get real with God. Maybe you've been church. Maybe you know some Bible verses. Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home, but you can't point to a time in your life where you willingly made Jesus Christ your Saviour. I'm not asking, did you attend church? I'm not asking, do you own a Bible? I'm asking you, can you say, there was a time, I know, I can point to it, where I humbled my life and said, God, I need you so much in my life. I've done my thing. I'm through with the act. I'm through doing my own stuff. I need you, God. And I'm speaking to people that have never done this. And this is an invitation for you to do it before you leave this building today. We're going to pray a simple prayer in just a moment. You can pray it right where you are. Or maybe you once walked with God and chaff came in and church became just religiosity and before you knew it, you were just in a backslidden state. You were the prodigal that had drifted away. But today, this prayer for you that we're about to pray is actually you, the prodigal, coming back to God, saying, God, I, I ended up in a pig pen and I want to come back. I want to, I want to be embraced by you again. And He's willing and He's waiting, but He needs your yes. He needs to know this is your choice, your decision. So if you're here today, Maybe you've never thrown yourself into the embrace of God. So that this might be the first time you, you didn't even realise you had to, that you had to actually have a moment of choice where you made Jesus Christ your personal Saviour. Nobody else can do it for you. Or maybe you are the prodigal returning today. This is the moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. But while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I need to know who I'm praying with, who I'm praying for. And if that's you, I need you to lift your hand right now and say, yeah, that's me. I want to get right with God before I leave this place today. Looking around this auditorium, this is a great moment for you to get right with God. Yeah. Giving you a moment because you know what? A decision like this takes a little bit of time. So if you're wrestling right now, that's a good thing, but make the choice. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to get right with God before I leave this place today. Looking around this auditorium for someone to lift their hand. Others, who else? Anyone in this place today? Say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, there's a hand over there. That's fantastic. Come on, let's thank God for that. Anyone else? Anyone else looking around? God bless you, sir. You can put that hand down now. Anyone else? Saying, yeah, that's me. 
I don't mind waiting because this is what decisions are like. We, we take our time. But if your heart's beating really fast right now, you're sort of wishing I'd hurry up and move on from this moment. Come on. That's you. We're talking to you right now. God's reaching for you. Reach back for Him. Anyone else in this auditorium saying, yeah, that's me. I'm ready to do that. All right, come on, we're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but pray this prayer. We're all going to say it together. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe You to be the Saviour of the world. Today, I receive You as my Saviour. Come into my life. Thank You for cleansing. Thank You for forgiveness. I receive it now and I thank You for it. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's thank God for that precious soul today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.